Uh, we are in Matthew chapter 13. We've taken a brief break uh, for a few uh, pulpit supply and then for an Advent sermon series in Revelation. And now we're back uh, marching through the book of Matthew. And we're in Matthew chapter 13, uh, looking at verses 1 through 23. And that can be found on... Most of you are probably already there, but it's page number 1,516. Hear the word of the Lord. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear." The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But, Blessed are you, blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he is no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who receives the seed that fell on good soil 
is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as always, we come to you asking for your grace. Um, as this passage teaches us, we need your spirit to open up our hearts and minds to understand the secrets of the kingdom. We pray, Father, that you would do that now, that you would cause all of our hearts to be fertile soil for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, imagine hearing about a doctor who claims to have found the cure for cancer. Uh, there's been no report about him on the news, which is strange, and you just hear about him from a friend. And after some time, you keep hearing stories about people being cured by this man. And the stories seem credible. But still, nothing in the newspapers or on TV about him. It's almost like they're ignoring him. After some more time goes by, you finally do hear about this man on the news. But what you hear from the experts is that he is lying, that he's leading people astray. He's a huckster and a fraud. All the experts believe this man is dangerous. Who do you believe? Do you believe all of the experts? Or do you believe the stories that seem true and credible about what this doctor is doing? You see, we're just like the people in Jesus' time. We trust experts. We tend to put our faith in their education and their experience and their understanding. And you would want to know from this doctor, why do all the experts doubt you? If he's really curing cancer, why is Johns Hopkins trying to shut him down? So one day, the doctor decides to go on TV himself to explain why all the experts doubt him. And so you're sitting there and you're waiting to hear what he has to say. And he stands up. And he tells a story about farmers and soil and birds and seed. And then he just says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he walks away. <laughs> Wait a minute, what? That's your explanation? You see, that's very similar to what's happening in our passage today. Jesus claims to be the Messiah, the Savior of God's people. He claims to have authority over sin and sickness and Satan. All the stories being told about Jesus are very credible. In fact, the experts aren't even denying it. But the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the experts, all think he's a fraud. In fact, in Matthew chapter 12, where we were about eight weeks ago, they claim 
Jesus is getting his power from Satan. Who do you believe? Do you trust the experts? Or do you trust Jesus? And so here in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus stands before a large crowd gathered around him, and he's going to tell us why many people, including the experts, doubt him. Why they don't believe him. But instead of saying something concrete and clear, instead of defending himself or his ministry and offering any more proof than he's already given, he tells a story about farmers and soil and birds and seed. And then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So here's our outline. First, we're going to Look at introducing parables. I probably should have titled that differently. The introduction of parables or something. Next is the reason for parables. And finally, the clarity Jesus provides. Now, I know it's been almost two months since we were in the book of Matthew. But if you remember, Matthew chapter 12 is where Jesus is healing a man on the Sabbath. And uh, the Pharisees are accusing him of breaking the Sabbath. He's also accused of casting out demons by the power of Satan. And then the chapter ends with Jesus' family, his mother and brothers, coming to him, trying to pull him away from what he's doing and what he's saying, because they don't believe in him. And throughout chapter 12, Jesus was still trying to reason with people and explain himself he tried to reason with the Pharisees by telling them, hey, even the law says that it is good and right to heal and have mercy on the Sabbath. He tried to reason with the Pharisees when they're accusing him of his power coming from Satan by trying to point out that, look, if, if I was, if my power came from Satan, then that means Satan would be working against himself. And that wouldn't make any sense. And then chapter 13 begins that same day. The same day Jesus is being rejected by the Pharisees and even his own family, Jesus went out of the house, sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat on it while all the people stood on the shore. Most scholars suggest that What's happening here is Jesus is going out onto a boat in a horseshoe cove that creates a natural amphitheater, which is how he's able to be heard by these large crowds. And then Matthew says, he told them many things in parables. This is the first time the word parables is used in the book of Matthew. And this is the first extended parable from Jesus, even though he's used illustrations and um, analogies before, they weren't specifically called parables. And a parable is actually more difficult to define than you would think. Sometimes a parable is a story. Sometimes the story is an allegory where God and believers and unbelievers are represented by characters in the story. Other times it's just a story, like the, the story of the rich man and Lazarus, if you're familiar with that one. 
And there are even times when parables seem more like riddles. Other times, they're straightforward illustrations, as we'll see later in chapter 13, when Jesus uses illustrations to explain what the kingdom of heaven is like. And there are times when a parable has one point. There are times when a parable has multiple points. All that to say, because parables vary so much, the best way to understand a parable is to take them in the context that they come in in the gospel. So let's do that now. Jesus goes on and says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. So just try to imagine this scene. Up until this point in the book of Matthew, Jesus has been going around, teaching about the kingdom of heaven. The crowds have marveled at his authority and his power and his teaching. And now all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he tells this strange story about a farmer sowing seed where some fell along a path, where birds ate it, some fell on rocky ground without much soil, so the plants died because the soil was shallow, and other plants were choked by the thorn bushes, and only some fell on good soil and thrived. Now, many of us are familiar with this parable, and we know what it means because we've either heard it before or we just read the explanation that Jesus gives later in the passage. But just try to imagine being in the crowd. You're still trying to wrap your mind around Jesus. You're still trying to decide whether you should trust the experts who you've always trusted, who clearly think this man is a fraud, or if you should trust your own eyes. And trust Jesus. You're waiting for that final piece of evidence. You're you're waiting for him to say the thing that will finally cause you to believe that he really is the Messiah. That he's the one you can put all your hope in. You come a long way to gather with this large crowd and hear him teach. But instead of teaching, he tells a weird story that could mean almost anything. That's how some people feel about Jesus even now. They're intrigued by him. Maybe they're even drawn to him. They want to hear what he has to say. Maybe they believe that they're willing to put their hope in him. If only he can answer a few more questions for them. They need something else to click in their mind and in their heart. And when they go to hear what Jesus has to say, the words he says don't make any sense. So, the disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? This is the question. This question is even more important than what the parable means. They might like to know what the parable means, but more importantly, they want to find out why Jesus is intentionally confusing people with this bizarre story. 
The disciples believe. They might not know everything they need to know about who Jesus is yet, but they believe that he's come to them from God. And they also know the wheels are starting to come off this thing. Lots of people in the crowd are on the fence about Jesus. The scribes and the Pharisees, who have a ton of respect and authority, have openly rejected him. It's not a good time to be telling weird stories that no one understands, Jesus. Why are you speaking to them in parables? Which takes us to our second point, the reason for parables. As we said earlier, parables are notoriously difficult to describe. They can be difficult to understand, quite simply. They can be confusing. So why would Jesus decide to teach in parables? Here's how Jesus answers the disciples' question. He replied, Because, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. So Jesus speaks in parables because he wants to bless those who are already in the kingdom with a greater and a deeper understanding of the kingdom. And for them, for those on the outside, he is speaking in parables to intentionally confuse them and take away what little understanding they do have. What? Now you and I are not qualified for this. We should always try and make the message of the gospel clear to everyone. But Jesus is God. And the point is, there are, there's a difference between those who are in the kingdom of heaven and those who are not. Those who are in the kingdom are in because God has given them knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven And Jesus gives these parables in order to help us understand more deeply how the kingdom works and what it is. People who were in the kingdom once were blind, but now they see. They once were dead and their trespasses and sins, but God has come and made them alive. And it's people who are alive who really see who can understand the parables. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says this. He says, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So parables are for people who have the Spirit of God inside them, helping them understand and discern their meanings. Paul goes on. The person with the Spirit makes a judgment about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. 
For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But, Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. So Jesus is speaking in parables so that only those who have the mind of Christ will understand. For others, his purpose is to keep them from understanding. He's teaching in parables now as an act of judgment for those who have rejected him. Because he's already taught very plainly. He's proved his power and his authority with miracles. They have enough to believe. So he says, whoever has ears, let them hear. He goes on. And them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. They hear, but they don't understand. They see, but they don't really see. Their hearts are calloused. They have closed their eyes. You see, there comes a point when someone has heard the good news of the kingdom so many times and refused to believe it, that God may harden their heart. There comes a time when a person is no longer able to turn to him and be healed. That's why there's an urgency to the message of the kingdom. The call is always to repent and believe now. If you're able to understand that you can turn to him and be healed, then do it. As the psalmist says, today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. He came to save them from the power of sin and free them to live holy lives. He came to save them from the penalty of sin by dying in their place to free them from guilt and condemnation. And then he invites everyone everywhere to turn to him and be healed. There's no better time than now. There's no better day than today. Now, this is a hard teaching because it's both a threat and a warning. And there's no other way to say it. For anyone who understands that they are a sinner, who knows Jesus lived and died in the place of sinners, but who does not want to turn to him for healing, either because they don't want to give up their sin or because they have some intellectual, emotional, or philosophical argument keeping them from embracing God's forgiveness, the stark warning of this passage is there may come a time when the good news of the kingdom becomes confusing, where it becomes more like a riddle, where it becomes less interesting and less believable. The man who says, tomorrow I will repent, must know that tomorrow may never come. Now I'm confident that there is such a thing as a deathbed conversion because we serve a God who is so gracious. 
We see it, an example of it, with the thief on the cross in Scripture. But it is the exception. It is not the rule. But to those who do believe, Jesus says this, But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. See, true blessing is the ability to see and hear the message of the kingdom and believe it. True blessing is knowing Jesus and knowing that you belong to him. Every Old Testament believer trusted the promises of God and looked forward to one day seeing how God would keep his promise to make his people holy and to forgive their sins. But the disciples, and for you and for me, we can know Jesus. We don't have to look forward to how God will save us. We look back to how he did save us. As Jesus says in the Gospel of John, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So knowing him, trusting him, this is the ultimate blessing of life. But there's still one big unanswered question in our passage. How can someone know if they're being judged by the parables or if they're being blessed with greater and deeper knowledge from the parables, which takes us to our final point, the clarity Jesus provides. Now to answer that question, Jesus interprets the parable for us. Uh, But before we get into the interpretation, there's a few things that we need to know. Um, First, uh, apparently farming was done differently back then. Now what we do is we uh, plow the field and then we very carefully place each seed exactly where we want it to go and then we kind of cover up the seeds. But back then, uh, apparently what they did is the farmers would go out and they would literally just scatter the seeds everywhere and then they would come and plow the field, turning the seeds under. Uh, knowing that helps us make a little bit more sense of, of what's going on here. Second, the only thing different about each situation Jesus describes is the soil. The farmer is the same, the seed is the same, and so the soil is the kind of heart each person has, and the seed is the message of the kingdom, and ultimately the farmer is Jesus. But anyone who proclaims the message of the kingdom uh, can scatter the message of the kingdom on Jesus' behalf. Okay, so first, the path. Jesus says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So the first reason some people do not believe, and this is probably the category that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law fall in, is because even though the message was sown in their heart, which means they really heard it and should have understood it. Like a bird eating seed from the ground, the evil one comes and snatches away the message from their heart. So these are people who have no interest whatsoever in the gospel. Whether they think they're a good person and don't need God's forgiveness, or they think they're so evil that God could never forgive them, 
Or they think the idea that there is a God who has the right to judge them is ridiculous. There are multiple ways of being uninterested in the message of the kingdom. But these are people who never show any interest in sin or salvation. For whatever reason, it always sounds unbelievable to them. Jesus goes on. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But once they have, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Okay, so the second reason some don't believe is not because they don't believe, because they, they do seem to believe, but only for a short time. This is why I titled the sermon, The Kind of Faith That Saves, because there is a kind of faith where they hear the word, they even receive it with joy. So they might th think something like this. Wow, Jesus is the Lord. He came to earth as a baby in a manger and lived and died for my sins. And all I have to do is put my trust in him and my sins are forgiven and heaven is mine. Yes, I want that. They received the message with joy. And so the, the hard thing for us is, how could anyone ever receive the message with joy and then fall away? Now you may have heard before that once someone is saved, they are always saved. That it's impossible for a Christian to lose their salvation. And yet here, Jesus is clearly saying that there are people who will receive the message of the kingdom with joy, but they only last for a short time. As soon as it gets hard, as soon as it's inconvenient to keep believing, they walk away. But Jesus also says in John chapter 6, he says, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. It, this means that the person who receives the message with joy, but falls away when trouble or persecution comes, was never really someone God had given to Jesus in the first place. So they had a kind of faith, but they didn't have faith that saves. So one of the ways we know that we have faith that saves and that we are a child of God is when we keep believing after it gets hard. One of the ways we know that God has given us to Jesus and that he will never lose us and that he will raise us up on the last day is when we experience ourselves holding on tighter to him when tragedy strikes. When the worst thing imaginable happens and Jesus becomes even more precious to us. See, the hard part is many people we know people like this. We know people who at one point in time in their life, we believed they were a Christian. But then something happened in their life. A loved one died, they lost their business, who knows? 
And then they drifted away, and now they don't follow Christ anymore. And I think sometimes what we do is we think, oh, well, I know they're a Christian still because they believed. They, they professed faith. They, they received the message with joy. But Jesus is saying, no, no, there are people who will receive the message with joy, but, but you know you're a Christian when you persevere through those things. Jesus goes on. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. So trouble and persecution is one way to give up on the message of the kingdom. Another way is to just get distracted. We can be deceived by poverty and prosperity. It's easy to get caught up in work and hobbies and projects and family and our career, so much so that we lose the awe. We stop being amazed that God sent his very own son to this earth to live and die for sinners. We can forget that our biggest problem is that we are sinners who will one day have to give an account to a holy God and that, that on that day, our only hope is Jesus. And if we lose sight of this day in and day out to the point where there is no fruit in our lives, Jesus is saying that person never really believed in the first place. Because the message of the kingdom is so wonderful that nothing can distract us from it. Nothing can take its place in our hearts. Later in this very chapter, Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. When they found it, they sold everything they had because it was so much better than the riches and the worries of this life. Which takes us to our last kind of soil. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So here's where we have to get our theology really straight, because there is nothing any one of us can do to earn God's approval. We can only be accepted by God by believing and receiving all of what Jesus has done for us and his perfect life that he gives to us and his death that he dies for us. That's the only way anyone is ever saved. And everyone who looks to Jesus and to Jesus alone is saved. 
But if we've truly heard the message of the kingdom, if we've understood and we really see that we are sinners and God has made a way for us to be saved, there will be fruit in our lives. As we already said, we will cling tighter to God in the face of trouble and persecution. We will not be carried away by the worries of life and the deceitfulness of riches. We will never reach perfection in this life, but we will grow in holiness. We will grow in the knowledge of God and the love for God and others. We will experience joy knowing our sins are forgiven and that we are a child of God. And we will know the relief of having the weight of sin and guilt removed from our soul. We will be poor in spirit, meek, mourning, merciful, hungering and thirsting for righteousness. This has been the theme of Matthew all along. Now some people will have less evidence in their life. They will only produce 30 times what was sown. Others will have more evidence. They will produce 100 times what was sown. As Jesus said in the previous chapter, a tree is known by its fruits. The point is there will be fruit. And this fruit is how we are assured of our salvation. I don't have it on the screen, but Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 86. I'm just going to read it to you real quick. If I can find it. I didn't plan to do this. Oh, I might not be able to do it. Hold on, maybe they're right here. Oh, here we go. So this is the beginning of the gratitude section in the Heidelberg Catechism. And the question is, we've been delivered from our sin and misery by God's grace alone through Christ and not because we have earned it. Why then must we still do good? And the answer is, to be sure, Christ has redeemed us by his blood. But we do good because Christ, by his spirit, is also renewing us to be like himself, so that in all our living, we may show that we are thankful to God for all he has done for us, and so that he may be praised through us, and we do good so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits. And so that by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. So we began this morning with a story about a doctor who claimed to cure cancer who was rejected by the experts. And we asked, in that hypothetical scenario, who would you believe? Would you believe the experts or would you believe the doctor? Well, the only way to know for sure is if you had cancer and you went to him and he healed you. It's the same thing with Jesus. Every human being is terminally ill with sin. And the only way to know if he can really save you from your sins is to turn to him for healing. And then the way you know that you've been healed 
is if you experience yourself being healed. If you were blind, how would you know that you were no longer blind? (laughs) Because you could see. If you were dead, how would you know that you were no longer dead? If you could take a breath. It's the same thing with saving faith. If we have been forgiven and freed from our sin, we know it when we are free to love and live for Jesus. Now, before we close, there is one group of people that I want to address, and that's the person here this morning who doesn't feel love for Jesus, who still feels enslaved to sin, and who's heard the message of this passage and is, and is worried and feels beat down and wonders, oh, I'm trying so hard. I keep sinning. How can I possibly know that I'm saved? If, how much fruit do I have to produce, Jesus? What is 30 times? And have I met that? I'm right, 29. For some, they experience those thoughts and think those thoughts because they have a sensitive conscience. And they struggle to accept God's great love and forgiveness. And for others, for others, it's because sin is more enjoyable than God. But the answer is the same. And Jesus gives us the answer in this passage back in verse 15. There he's quoting Isaiah 6. And he's telling us that he's teaching in parables to keep some people from believing. He's he's teaching them in parables to keep them from turning to him and being healed. Because that's the solution. Right? Anytime we experience lack of fruit in our faith, Christian, which we all do, every one of us doubts. Every one of us goes through periods of time where the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of riches are more important to us than God. Every one of us goes through times where we feel like, oh no, I, I have lost sight of the awe that Jesus died for me. But the solution is not to try to produce fruit. Right? Because God produces fruit in us. The solution is always to turn to Jesus to be healed. Anytime we fall short, anytime we wonder and are worried, anytime our assurance slips, the solution is not to try to earn our assurance or to, or to now we do need to put in effort, right? That's, that's part of it. But we start always by turning back to him for healing. The Christian life, Martin Luther said, is a life of constant repentance. The Christian life is constantly turning to him for healing. Constantly, oh Jesus, thank you. Oh Jesus, heal me. Oh Jesus, I need you. Because we are weak and dependent sinners. See, Jesus points out that the, the greatest evidence that we are not saved is that we have no interest 
and turning back to him for healing. That's where it always starts. And when we do that, he will produce the fruit in us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now and we admit and confess that this is a hard teaching in this passage, but we're thankful for it. We're thankful for a correct categories. We're thankful for a deeper understanding of the secrets of the kingdom because of this parable. We're thankful, God, that when you save us from our sin, you free us from the shackles of it, from bondage to it, and you forgive us of being given over to it. God, we serve a Savior who saves, who truly saves. And we are so grateful for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.